moments of success should be measured by moments of joy. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that so deeply in my core at this point in my life, but that was not the way I thought about it in the past. Before it was like moments of success uh, were defined by moments of sort of um, taking risk, being a game changer, uh, pushing your limits, hustling hard, hustling even harder than that, dreaming bigger, which I'm not saying parts of those are not things that I still feel and live right now. But I think after all the hustle and grind and the go, go, go life that came with building your dream, uh, you kind of take like a step back um, because uh, you you start to realize what is this all for, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. You no, know? and it's not that I'm not grateful every single day of my, I am very grateful to be able to do like what I love every single day. But I started to like my mental health and my exhaustion and my body, I was just so drained every day. And it was like, people go like, you've got to find joy in doing this. Otherwise, what's the point? It's been a year since the pandemic hit, and we're all trying to make sense of life as much as we can right now, myself included. With this in mind, over the next four episodes, we will be talking about the lessons we've learned after this year of quarantine, sharing insights and wisdom from our guests of the Next Right Step program that have helped many of us move through the last 12 months through their platforms and work. What does it mean to live life on our own terms? Especially as first-gen kids or children of immigrants, that can sometimes feel really elusive. What does it mean to live life on my own terms? Being the youngest of the five kids in my house, I think I always had a bit of that rebellious spirit. Often when folks in my family would tell me what to do or direct me in certain ways or tell me what I should study or how I should be living my life, my knee-jerk reaction was, no way. I am not following that path you've set for me. I feel called to different things. I feel called to the things that feel right to me. And somehow that North Star was always really strong for me throughout my life. I think it's because it's something I saw my mother embody in her role as a wife in a South Asian family, in her role as daughter-in-law in a South Asian family, And in her role as mom, she would always stay true to herself and what she knew was right in the world and for herself. Now, when you grow up with a Taurus mom, it is Taurus season, or do we just have the Taurus new moon? Um, It can be really intimidating to go up against someone who is so strong-willed and so determined and focused on what they deem to be best for you. And that's something I navigated a lot with my mom. And when I think of my life now and what it looks like and what I've accomplished and achieved and overcome and the hurdles that I've moved through, I wonder, is this the life my mother had imagined for me when she was a new immigrant to this country, when she was facing different struggles, when she thought that she I might not be a full-term baby, when I consider that heaviness that she's had to process and overcome and the dreams and hopes that she instilled in me as did so many immigrant mothers. I wonder, is she happy with my life now? I think the answer is yes. 
I think it because our friendship has never been closer. I think it because the trials and tribulations we overcame with her expectations for me, whether it was in career or who my partner was in life, we endured with grace and with our love for each other intact. But it was such a process of me staying true to who I was and navigating her expectations for me on a daily. And I think for so many children of immigrants, so many first-gen kids, this is a constant reckoning that we're facing. And in today's episode, we get to dive in with Deepika Mutiala, the founder of Live Tinted, around what it's been like for her to also navigate crafting her own path, leading her own way, and how that trailblazing in her own family and in her career has now enabled an entire community to emerge when it comes to the conviction she has, the impact she wants to make on the world and through her work with Lift Tented in combating colorism. And so we dive into all this and more in today's episode. And something that she mentions early on in our conversation was the moment that her father told her he was proud of her. When we hit unconventional paths, That moment, I think, can stick out for a lot of us. I remember when my dad told me he was proud of me. I cried afterwards. My brother did too. I remember us talking about our moments separately. It was different points in our careers. And we ended up commiserating about it later that the day that Papa told us he was proud of us or that we did something really well in our careers was a day we would never forget because that's honestly the biggest gift for an immigrant kid, for a first-gen kid, for any kid to see and hear from their parents who gave so much to us, who did so much for us, to say, I'm proud of you. And to do it when you take um, a path less chosen, an unconventional path in career and life, it means so much more. And so let's hear what Deepika has to say when it came to navigating those expectations from her parents and defining success on her own terms. I think every decision I've made in my life has always been this constant feeling of wanting to make them proud. Um, Since I was a little girl, I think what I was craving was to hear my immigrant father tell me that everything he had worked for to bring me to this country and make sure that I was born here and get all the, you know, um, access to everything that you can get by being born in America. I feel like I owed him this this debt my whole life. And hearing him say he was proud of me was like the ultimate victory, um, especially because I made him proud by going a very different direction than he had hoped for me to go, um, which was like his version of the American dream. Mm, and what was that? When you actually, let's, well, let's unpack that a little bit of what was the path that your parents had dreamed for you and how did you manage bringing them into actually there's something different that I'm here to do. Yeah, I think for them, um, the idea of the American dream equivalates to respect in America and respect in America is equivalated from education on education on education. As many degrees, the better. Um, And so, and I don't fault them for that because again, like they only knew one lens in one way. And so in their mind, you, you earn your respect in the States by being super educated. So that the number one thing that was instilled in me since I was a little kid was that. And um, in their minds, not surprisingly so, being a doctor was the way to really garner that respect um, in the States. And so that was always what I was taught. You're either going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, an engineer, 
or you're going to get married. Like that was kind of the mindset um, growing up in Sugarland, Texas. And I always had a different, different vision. I, I get that from my mother and my, you know, I think like that, that drive to like, why not me? Why not be the person who creates the new American dream? And for me, the American dream is about doing something that hasn't been done before because we have that opportunity here to do that. Um, and what there was nothing stopping me from doing that. So we had different definitions, but I think at the end of the day, um, we had that same commonality and goal of like um, making sure that we built something that was respectable in like America and being able to pave that path. And his was just a little different from me, but um, at the end of the day, I think we, we wanted the same things. With that in mind, when you think of your definition and relationship to quote unquote success, when you were younger, what did success look like to you? And how has your definition of success changed at, to this point in your career? Just posted on um, Instagram the other day. I, I just don't want to, because it's so true to where I am at this point in my life and I didn't feel it as a kid, but I put like moments of success should be measured by moments of joy. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that so deeply in my core at this point in my life, but that was not the way I thought about it in the past. Before it was like, moments of success uh, were defined by moments of sort of um, taking risk, being a game changer, uh, pushing your limits, hustling hard, hustling even harder than that, dreaming bigger, which I'm not saying parts of those are not things that I still feel and live right now. But I think after all the hustle and grind and the go, go, go life that came with building your dream, uh, you kind of take like a step back um, because uh, you you start to realize what is this all for, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. No, and it's not that I'm not grateful every single day. Of my, I am very grateful to be able to do like what I love every single day. But I started to like my mental health and my exhaustion and my body, I was just so drained every day. And it was like, people go like, you've got to find joy in doing this. Otherwise, what's the point? I remember so clearly the moment where I drew the line in the sand when it came to my relationship to work and wellness. And I was having a conversation with my dad on the phone. And it was after I had recovered from my cancer diagnosis and I had just been hit with my neurological illness in 2017. And we were talking and I could hear the concern in his voice on the phone. And When you face unrelenting illness after illness and you're young and you're hustling and work feels like the most important thing and you hear the concern in the voice of your father on the phone who is so far away, who feels helpless in how he can support you, it made crystal clear for me that my parents did not sacrifice everything they did to immigrate to this country to create the life that I have now, for to afford me the privileges that I have when it comes to financial access and the various privileges that they've given me as their child, as a first-generation Canadian. They did not do all of that to see their daughter get so sick in her 20s and for that to be the end of it, for that to be where I cognitively started to continue to decline, where that became where I refused to stop working. To what end? And not necessarily stop working at all, but stop working at the pace and with the expectations I had on myself. 
When I had that conversation with my dad, I realized he did not sacrifice everything he did for him to watch his daughter get so sick and not take care of herself. So I changed. I moved from New York City, from Brooklyn, here to Canada. If you listen to the show often, you know this story well. I live in the countryside now with my father-in-law and my husband and our cousin. We live a much slower life. I still work with my whole heart and I do sprints and I overwork sometimes, but my connection to nature, to what matters most to me when it comes to my family, my mindfulness, my, my body, my spirit, it's so much more clear for me. I'm so much more tuned in. I'm not fighting against wanting to feel well. I'm not fighting against wanting to be well. I understand now that the sacrifices we make for success, for work, for whatever else it is, don't serve us. And that we get to define success, as Deepika mentioned, on our own terms. And so what does it look like to prioritize wellness and to fit your work into your wellness? What does it look like to truly honor the fact that we deserve to be well in mind, body, and spirit? How do we embody that in a world that is moving faster and faster day after day? After 13 months in the pandemic, I, would, I wouldn't say that I've slowed down. I've just found another way to go fast when it comes to being online and navigating building a business online. So we have to be so thoughtful and mindful when it comes to the way that we're distracting ourselves and continuing our sometimes harmful relationships to overwork and pushing ourselves and hustling. And here is how Deepika has been navigating her relationship between work and wellness and how she can better fit wellness into her day-to-day -day life. When you are creating something that is pulling you, like you're on, you're on the train, it's on the tracks, like you're going full speed, and you know the impact and mission are so important and huge beyond you. How do you, Deepika, create the space for you to be a human who takes care of herself? <laughs> what does that look like? How are you doing it? And are you like hard on yourself when it's not working? Is sustainable work even something that you feel like is possible for you? Or something that is it simply aspirational right now? I think it has to be possible. And I don't think it is it exists in my life right now, but it has to be because if I want uh, this to have longevity and my career to have longevity and do this, something that again, like has an impact forever, not just for the now, um, I have to be able to, I have to be able to function at my highest capacity and I won't be able to do that unless I take care of myself. So it's unfortunate, but the way that I've been able to train myself to take care of myself is that it's for the betterment of the business mm -hmm. if I do, which is so like, I, I wish that wasn't the case, but you know what? It's like, we we're, growing really, we're growing we quickly and that. it is, yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of advice I've gotten from other female founders who have said like, just accept the fact that you won't have a life and just accept the fact that you won't see your kids and just accept these things. And I don't want to, but I yes. think, um, yeah. I don't want to either. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't think I have to, I think it's just because there's a very, um, there's a built in system of how things have been done. And so like, I think 
that's what makes you feel like you have to do it. So that's what I mean by I'm so lucky I have these advisors and investors and badass founders to guide me. But times have shifted and times have changed. And like, I'm a beauty businesswoman turned influencer now founder. So like that narrative is very unique to me. And I'm somehow trying to balance running this company while still creating content and doing the influencer thing. And honestly, like the only reason I still do this side of the business, my soul is on this side, this company and, and everything. But this side of the business is also so important. And I recognize that now I'm seeing how much this is helping impact this. Um, but then where is time for just me where I am disconnected and I'm not, it's really tough, right? Because when you're a influencer, I keep using quotes because it's just like that word is, is very, the, I, I think the, the mindset behind that word needs to change. It's not the actual word itself, but, uh, when I go on vacations, I vlog it. When I'm with my family at home, I'm posting it. And when I'm doing and it, and I know that like, there's a greater reason for it. And I know that people connect with it. And I love that. But then where is like the time for just me? Like wh what, where is the line? And um, I haven't figured that out. And I, I'm trying to figure it out and trying to understand like, what do I need to share with the world versus like, I just habitually do share with the world. Um, and I think another part of it comes down to team. I think you, you, I, I want to be able to do all the above. I want to be a mom. I want to be a wife and I want to be a CEO and I want to be a friend and I want to be me also. And I need to figure out who that me is. And I, I just don't feel like I know that person yet um, because I've just been going and going. And so in so many ways, I'm so grateful for the pandemic to happen because I, am getting to slow down and recognize that like, you know, of course my parents are on me about having a family, <laughs> duh, but I want a family too. I really do. And I, I tried to like uh, finally tune out, tune out the, what my parents want for me and what is it that I want for me? Because that's what I've always done anyways. So, um, and the reality is I want it. Um, but it is a very vulnerable thing to go out there and be open to the dating stuff and, you know, the, the getting, going to a fertility clinic and all that stuff. But, um, it's all stuff that I, um, I, I want to do. And so I have to figure out a business model and a team for this company, um, that makes it so I can do it all. So how are you reckoning now with sustainable work for yourself when boundaries are almost entirely gone when it comes to work right now? Yeah. I mean, it's tough. I feel like we all need to like wake up every day with the sense of focus on the things you can control. It's something that I keep trying to remind myself because there's so many things out of our control right now. Like the fact that we're living through a pandemic and I really have been the one thing I have done, which I mean, not every day, cause that, that would be a lie, but a gratitude journal and writing things down about what went well that day. That was something I had started doing at the beginning of the year. COVID had hit and I just felt like defeated. There was days where I didn't want to get out of bed. It was just like, man, the world, the heaviness of everything happening. But I started that up again when I came back to Texas and it wasn't all business related stuff because again, like you need those business highs because it's otherwise as business owners, as many people are in this group, um, you really start to feel defeated. If you're an entrepreneur, it's such a big part of your identity. But I think adding in those personal moments of joy and things that went well, like cooking dinner with my dad and that things that I wouldn't have been able to do if the pandemic hadn't happened, right? And, you know, one of the highs that I wrote one night was like, okay, we just got an office. 
but we're actually saving an overhead cost because we moved out of that office. And so now we, we don't have an office as a company. We're actually talking about permanently just making it so even with hiring decisions, you're not required to live in Los Angeles because it actually opens up the talent pool to a wider audience. And um, we're actively, just before this, I was interviewing somebody who's in New York and I before I wouldn't have thought of that. So I think you have to focus on the things you can control and you know, we, and we've talked about this because of this show and your plans for what you were going to do for this whole show. And you have to find pivot in every entrepreneurial journey, whether it is a pandemic or it's a sales, you know, a bad sales day or a product didn't work that you expected to work. You have to be willing to pivot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to also give yourself grace to know that like, it's, it's like, it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. And so like, these are all things that I've been telling myself because. Um, we live in such a world with social media that everyone shows the highs of their business. And um, I think it's just what this pandemic, of course, it's, there's so many like terrible things happening because of it, but I, I have to focus on all the positive things, like being able to spend more time with my family, focusing on parts of the business that I would never have had time to do pre pandemic, right? Like looking down to the unit economics and the margins of our Hue sticks, we would not have focused on that um, pre-pandemic at this stage. We would have been too busy going and working on the next thing and the next thing. But the the factories were shut down. So yeah. we were like, let's try to find an alternative factory. Hey, this might lead to better margins. Like, So all this to say, the summary kind of being like, how am I getting through it? I really just have to focus on the things I can tr- control and have gratitude towards the things that are going well even if it's small things, little small things, going on a walk. I wasn't doing that during pre-pandemic. I wasn't taking care of myself. So um, yeah, that's kind of how I'm doing it. What are some of the things that you've started doing because of the pandemic? What's shifted in your day-to-day life that are now non-negotiables that weren't before? What are those small silver linings that have emerged over this last 13 months? For me and Mitch, it's the fact that we both get to work from home and that our lunch break includes a big hug and just some beautiful, lovely time to connect with one another every day. It's also really appreciating this land that we live on and to really appreciate family and our Friday night game nights. Helping ourselves be more mindful of these smaller moments is something that what Deepika asked at the end helped me reflect more deeply on as well. What can we appreciate more of when it comes to what we've learned about ourselves and what we've implemented for ourselves and our families over this last 13 months? Now, I want you to reflect on that while we head into a short break. I've got some exciting news for you. I'm hosting three free workshops next week, all about the roots of resilience and the ways that you can level up your life right now, connect more deeply to yourself, to your wellness, to your relationship to work, to your relationship, to your identity, to your community, and so much more. So if you want to learn more about those free workshops, head over to komal.com slash workshops. I'm Komal, and this is Lessons Learned. Today, we're sharing a conversation with Deepika Mutiala, entrepreneur, beauty influencer, and founder and CEO of Live Tinted, a community-based digital platform and beauty product line that explores inclusive beauty. 
We often have no idea the impacts that can come from living life on our own terms and trailblazing and breaking those expectations that we talked about early in the show when it comes to our family or our friends or our parents. And in the best case scenario, there can be an incredible domino effect from the decisions that you make. You can trailblaze for an entire community. And in Deepika's case, that's exactly what happened. Now that you've built the Live Tinted community, it is so rooted in representation and helping people be seen. How and why was that a priority for you? I think after being in the beauty industry across like each lens, like as at, at L'Oreal, um, a massive corporation, at Birchbox, which was like a, the, a thriving beauty startup, and then being a beauty influencer, I, I saw from every lens a piece of myself missing like at every level, at the, at the executive level, at the product level, at the campaign level. And I felt like the only way to change that was to create that. And so I did. And it was just like one of those things where it was like, there should be more women of color in C positions. There should be more products that reflected me. And there should be more campaigns of people who look like me and other people who haven't seen themselves reflected and they shouldn't be tokenized, which was another part of it. Because I think as an influencer, I feel very fortunate and grateful that I was the maybe token brown girl in some major beauty brand campaigns, which was crazy because like, I never thought I would grow up seeing a brown girl in a L'Oreal commercial. And then I wasn't one. And I just remember thinking like, dang, my like, so cool to think like my nieces and nephews, their cousins, kids and stuff like that will be able to see that. And I think it took me back to that little Indian girl growing up in Sugarland, Texas, who got blonde streaks, real thick ones, and blue contacts, and just changed everything about myself because I didn't see myself reflected. And so for me, when I thought about what was like the roots and the pillars of this beauty brand, which by the way, I wanted to, I've wanted this since I was 16. And it's, it's kind of cool being home because I'm talking to my parents and they're just, and my cousins even, and they're like, wow, like you talked about this since you were a kid and it's here. But I think what, after being at the corporate startup influencer, kind of like every realm of the beauty space, uh, there was like a pit in me that said that it had to stand for something bigger. It had to have a purpose behind it. It had to like, not just like off a one, one off campaign, not just like a one off product, but like the roots and the DNA of the brand was about this. And I think like what we were saying earlier about, um, even when I'm exhausted or tired, I still find joy in what I do because I know that there's a greater purpose to it. But I'll, I'll be honest and say that it's also feels very, uh, it's a big goal. Like our, our, we, we did an exercise right before COVID around like our vision statement, our mission statement to really concretely put it on paper. So every employee knew exactly what they were working towards every day and ha- knew their why, why they were coming in. And it wasn't about the number of Houston sold. It was about our vision statement, which was really around this idea of dismantling colorism, mm-hmm. which is something that I feel like I had been talking about through every piece of my career. But to say those words and actually put it on paper and give a clear, like every employee knows this is what we're fighting for. Um, and it's not a, an easy goal and it's not going to happen overnight, but we have our why, um, I think has really helped me uh, recognize that there's a lot of work to be done, but it's good work and it's work that like I'm very proud of. For me on a personal level, 
the beauty industry is very, very saturated. And so I was told by many investors, like, why are you trying to create this community? Like, like just, you have a community, you have an audience, it's, it's your handle and um, just create a product and show proof of sales and go forward, blah, 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 blah. But I think when you're a brand that wants to stand for purpose and people over profit, it's, it, listen, it's a business. Like you have to have a business to be able to create, to do that purpose. Um, but when you lead with one, there's going to be a lot of people who don't get it, particularly investors and, and, um, and people like that. And so I've been lucky to be able to only bring in people that I think really believe in this brand and go that path. But for me, the community was mission critical because not was it just, um, I just wanted this to be not about me and so much of a bigger uh, narrative because colorism isn't something that just impacts me or just the South Asian community or just that uh, you know, every race experiences it. Primarily every race experiences it. And that's also something I've learned through just conversations, you know, like you only know what you know growing up, but having conversations with my black friends, uh, my Asian friends versus my, you know, Latina friends, like, it is, it doesn't discriminate. And I think for me, I was really happy that I started with this community because I was able to learn myself that this mission is not, I always knew it was greater than me, but I also now learned that it was greater than just my South Asian community. We have a common fight to fight um, in different minority groups. And so we can all come together. And if I hadn't started as a community first and just done my organic posts relating to topics that primarily relate to me, I would have never realized that this was something that could stand for something so much greater. And I think we can all feel that momentum building. Like even when I, when we were talking about me investing, it was already a no brainer for me, but the trajectory of this in terms of that fight against colorism, in terms of representation and inclusion and the way that you guys do your campaigns is so intentional. And it, you can feel it in the packaging. You can feel it in the way that the product is created. And I think that's something that a lot of brands can learn more from. And so I'm so grateful that you have created uh, Live Tinted and that it is making the impact that it is making. When we make decisions for ourselves uh, because they feel right, and it happens to go against the grain, against the expectation of our parents, our families, our communities, we usually can't determine what the ripple effect will be, and usually we're not, not even thinking about what the ripple effect would be. But in Deepika's case, a domino effect started. And slowly, with those decisions to show up more fully as herself in the world, she created a brand and products that are now helping so many people around the world do the same. And so I never want you to undermine or underestimate the impact that showing up for your life as fully as you possibly can as rooted in your identity, your needs, and who you are, as fully as you can, can have a bigger impact than you can even imagine. If sometimes the motivation to do it for yourself is not enough, then I hope you'll consider doing it for this bigger ripple effect around us. Now, before we wrap today's episode, I want to leave you with some thoughts on wellness that I had shared with the cohort before Deepika joined us for our call that day in the next right step. Someone in the community, Priya, was talking about individualizing her approach to wellness, not just doing what everyone was telling her to do or folks online or coaches were telling her how to live her life, the morning routine that was way too stacked, but instead choosing intentionally what worked for her. 
And it was a conversation point that I thought would be really helpful for all of us here today. Obviously, when we're talking about resiliency, such a major part of this, as you're noticing, is our wellness, is how are we in our bodies? How does it feel to work sustainably? And I saw Emily's question on that in the app of what does sustain, working sustainably actually mean? And it is this self-defined thing. But when we're raised, we're made to think that we are here to produce. We go through school in order to get a job. We, our parents encourage us and are so concerned about how are you going to make your livelihood? Um, and what this program and this community and what a big theme of my work moving forward is, is to remind people that we have to fit work into our wellness and perhaps not the other way around. Because if we aren't well, we cannot work. Lessons Learned is produced by Rhaenyra Naidu and me, Gomal Minhas, with production support from Daniela Ochoa. Our editor is Madison Foran. Music is by Soy B and Smith the Mister. You can find all the episodes and so much more on gomal.com. If you heard something that deeply resonated with you or hit you in the feels, then please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you send us a screenshot of that review to info at gomal.com, then we'll send you a little freebie.